accurate blue-collar theology to shield the mind, body, and spirit. This is Full Armor Radio. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Full Armor Radio. I am your host, Brandon Lockridge. And if you are seeing this notification, if you have your podcast player sends you notifications and you're seeing this episode pop up from Full Armor Radio, you are probably mind blown right now. Like, what is going on? I thought that this guy had fallen off of the face of the earth. I didn't know he was even podcasting anymore. Well, I'm back. Uh, I think it has been um, probably somewhere around 10 months since I released a podcast episode here on Full Armor Radio, which is crazy. I don't want to get into all the details of my life. Really, it could be summed up with one word, and that word is busy. I've been a very busy gentleman this year in 2023. All good stuff. But I haven't been completely away from the podcast game. So, um, I am, my family and I are members of our local congregation, which is Valley Life Community Church. And uh, that's, I am, I'm also an elder there at Valley Life. And Valley Life, about three and a half years ago, uh, the pastor, lead pastor there, Vinny Hankey, started a podcast for, it's kind of just was a church podcast. And now it's kind of uh, gotten bigger and kind of gone out and, um, uh, and it can be listened to on, uh, any podcast player It's called Valley Life Podcast. And so he started that about three and a half years ago and that's been going strong and he's the main host of that podcast, but he will also bring in people to uh, co-host along with him. And I have had the opportunity this past year to be in several episodes with uh, Vinny. And so that has been really fun. We've covered a range of topics. And right now, we actually, have, we've uh, meeting, we've been making our way through a book titled Christianity and Liberalism by the late, great J. Gresham Machen. And Machen wrote that book 100 years ago. This is a 100-year anniversary since he authored that book. So we're working our way through that book on the Valley Life podcast. And so that's been a lot of fun, but I have been wanting to get back to Full Armor Radio so bad. And I'm really glad to be able to get some time to sit down in front of the microphone and do this. And so um, you faithful listeners, if you <laughs> remember maybe uh, what we've been talking about here on Full Armor Radio, we've been going through the Belgic Confession together, and I am going to be picking up again today in the Belgic Confession. And so uh, just a quick recap, last episode, which was so long ago, uh, thank goodness that you can listen to these episodes one after another, though, and, and you can binge them and you don't even know, you know, that it's been months and months and months unless I mention it. Uh, so, so, um, so we, to recap last episode, we were in article five of the confession and we talked about how it is that we know that the 66 books of the Bible are indeed canon. And we learned that neither we nor anyone else approves the scriptures. We simply receive them for what they already are, and that is the scriptures. Um, we learned that it is both the Holy Spirit within us 
and the scriptures themselves that testify to the validity of the the biblical canon. And we also discussed the importance of this being true for all of church history. The reformers were not the first generation of Christians to have the Holy Spirit testify to the validity, the validity of the scriptures um, from the time that God's word was put into writing uh, until now, the Holy Spirit has been testifying to Christians in every generation that these indeed are the very words of God. So if you have not listened to episode, uh, well, the, the, the episode, the last episode on article five, I would inc- uh, encourage you to go back and check that out and give that a listen because today we're going to be diving into article six of the Belgic Confession. And the title of article six is the difference between the canonical and apocryphal books. Okay, so we talked about the scriptures, the authority of the scriptures, the fact that the 66 books that we have in our Christian Bible today are indeed the canonical books. So what about the apocrypha? Well, what is the apocrypha? Okay, the apocrypha, the word apocrypha means hidden or secret. And these are a collection of books that were written sometime between 300 BC and 100 AD. Um, And uh, and these books were um, referred to as as apocryphal for a number of different reasons. And we're going to we're going to take a look at that. Now, the apocrypha is these collection of books that are known as the apocryphal books are accepted and received even still today, by the Roman Catholic Church. And so uh, there's some reasons for that, and we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that. So um, the, uh, the, the books were called apocryphal because their authorship and their origin were unknown. Um, it, was, it was also believed that they had uh, an uncertain and, um, shall we say, suspect authority. Um, so how did the, the Apocrypha become associated with the Bible? Well, there were Jewish scholars who translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, uh, so that, that was the Septuagint, and they included these books in their translations. Uh, now, when Jerome, he was a, a 4th, 5th century church father, uh, Jerome translated the Subtuagent into Latin. He continued to include these books as well, although he was admittedly very skeptical of these books. Um, and so there were books that were sort of passed down from generation to generation, and they're really more stories. And um, the reformers rejected the uh, the apocryphal books as being included in part of the, uh, the, the Christian canon, the, the, the 66 books, right? So they, they excluded these books. And what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and we're going to read the article. And then we're going to talk a little bit uh, about some of these books and why the, um, the, when, as the Christian canon was being put together, these books were excluded and and really the reformers in their article uh in their confessions because it's not just the Belgic confession 
that talks about these books. Also, the the Westminster Confession, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, uh, they all talk about the exclusion of these books uh, from from the biblical canon. And so we're going to talk a little bit about why that is. Um, And so let's go ahead and read Article 6 of the Belgian Confession. It says this, We distinguish those sacred books, referring to the 66 books that we discussed in Article uh, 5. So we... Um, says, we distinguish those sacred books from the apocryphal naming. Okay, now we're going to name the apocryphal books. The third and fourth book of Esdras, the books of Tobias, Judith, Wisdom, Jesus, Syrach, excuse me, Baruch, the appendix of the book of Esther, the song of the three children in the furnace, the history of Susanna, of Bel and the dragon, the prayer of Manassas and the two books of the Maccabees. Okay. So those are the apocryphal books that, uh, the confession says we are excluding and distinguishing from the sacred 66 books of the biblical canon. He finishes up by saying all of which the church, okay. So referring to these apocryphal books, all of which the church may read and take instruction from so far as they agree with the canonical books, but they are far from having such power and efficacy as, as that we may from their testimony confirm any point of faith or of the Christian religion, much less detract from the authority of the other sacred books. So, this is a rejection of those apocryphal books. The rejection comes because the the Roman Catholic Church actually included these books in their canon. And again, as I mentioned, there were some reasons for that. So let's take a, a look, first of all, at um, why the reformers and many others before them rejected the apocrypha. So... Um, one, uh, there, there's a handful of reasons here, and we're going to go through these. So, first of all, the Jewish church never received them as canonical. Uh, they were um, appended to the Subtuagent, as I mentioned before, uh, but they weren't ever really considered inspired because they were not written by the prophets, but sort of came out of a period of the Old Testament prophet uh, Malachi, or they they came after uh, the the period of Malachi, and they weren't written in the prophetical language, which is Hebrew. And so even though they were um, brought over into the Septuagint, uh, the Jewish church never received them really as inspired canonical books. Um, uh, another reason is that uh, neither Jesus nor the apostles ever quoted from them. Um, they, um, we, we, as we go through the New Testament and we see uh, many books of the Bible being quoted from by Jesus and the apostles, obviously lots of uh, quotations from the books of Moses, lots of quotations from, we, we, we hear about Job, we, lots of quotations from the Psalms, right? From lots of uh, quotations from a lot of the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, 
a lot of the minor prophets, all of these books in the Old Testament somewhere uh, find themselves quoted in the New Testament. And the apocryphal books are never talked about ever by Jesus or the apostles anywhere. And so um, we would obviously believe that is because uh, these books are not not uh, supposed to be included in the biblical canon. Another thing is that they were uh, not received as canon by the ancient church. So uh, first, second, third, fourth century church, right? As the church is growing, um, never at any point did the church uh, actually include them in as part of the biblical canon. Again, as I mentioned, you had Jerome in fourth, fifth century who, when he translated the Subtuagint into Latin, he did include them, but he was he was very suspect of them. And again, he included them really because it was tradition, and the Jewish uh, scribes had included it into the sub the Subtuagint, and so he included it in there. But he was very suspect of um, of their uh, validity and ultimately didn't believe that they should be there. And then there was a lot of church fathers throughout, um, throughout the ages that went on to um, voice their concern over them. Origen uh, had issues. Eusebius had issues uh, with these books. Um, and uh, there was various bishops and councils and stuff that, that had, um, you know, synods and whatnot that, that were taking issue with these books. And so they were very suspect from the very beginning. Um, so that was another thing. Um, in addition to that, we see that, um, they contain historical inaccuracies and sort of these fanciful, uh, tales. Uh, the book of Judith, for example, talks about Nebuchadnezzar, um, uh, um, being the king of Nineveh. Well, that's a problem because Nineveh was actually destroyed years before Nebuchadnezzar's time. So that's kind of, that's kind of out of whack there. Uh, the book of wisdom, uh, describes, um, these Olympic style athletic contests in the time of Solomon, but these games really didn't exist until the time of the Greek empire. So that was something that's really off as far as uh, timeline here. Um, the, the book of uh, bell and the dragon refers to Daniel as slaying this great fierce dragon by feeding it uh, this poisonous cake. So weird stuff there um, in uh, um yeah, so just some really interesting, weird takes on stuff that doesn't jive with the rest of God's word. Um, another thing would be that they they contain uh, they contain uh, teachings that are in direct conflict with the biblical faith. So, um, one example would be in Ecclesiastic, Ecclesiasticus and Tobit are two books in which we uh, see this sort of uh, teaching of, of uh, a works-based salvation uh, that, you know, you merit your salvation and, um, you know, you give the giving of alms for the atonement of sin, which is interesting because when we think of the Roman Catholic church and the practice of uh, indulgences, uh, which is sort of, you know, sort of like a paying of money for the, for the, 
uh, forgiveness of sin, the atonement of sin. We we see that uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church wasn't necessarily uh, the first first church to come up with this out of whole cloth, right? They this was something that was practiced um, in the stories of of Tobit Ecclesiasticus. So interesting stuff there. Also in Tobit, there's a story of of this angel named Raphael, um, not the Ninja Turtle, the and the actual angel. Uh, I'm, I'm a 90s kid, so sorry for the joke. Um, but the this angel Raphael gives magical directions for driving away the devil by using the smoke of, of a fish's liver. So it really weird stuff there. Um, there's there's stories about Raphael accepting prayers that are offered to him. So interesting there. I mean, think a bit again about the Roman Catholic Church and if they believe in the whole uh, uh, the whole act of praying to saints. And so we do see in Tobit this idea of of this angel being prayed to and this angel accepting prayers, which is uh, everywhere in God's Word. You know the true. Uh, canon canonical books of the Bible, we see that uh, anytime prayers are made towards angels or apostles, they're strongly rebuked, right? And that God is the only one worthy of uh, that honor. Um, and then uh, a big one is actually, so again, thinking of the Roman Catholic Church, the doctrine of purgatory. Well, that is found in Second Mac- Maccabees, we in Second Sac- Maccabees chapter twelve, uh, there is a, um, a mention of prayer for the dead, and this idea that the the dead are if they're, they're neither in heaven nor hell, but they're sort of in this in between place, and and making prayers for them to get them out, so to speak, and so that is found in Second Maccabees, and that's where. The, uh, this idea of purgatory comes from in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and then interestingly enough, the uh, last thing I'll mention here is that in one area for sure, uh, we see that there is, a, I would say, an outright admission <laughs> that the, the book is not divinely inspired. So in 2 Maccabees, um, there is an area in uh, chapter 15 of 2 Maccabees where the author says, Quote, so I too will here end my story. So he's calling it a, his, his writings a story. And he goes on to say, if it is well told and to the point, that is what I, might, I myself desired. If it is poorly done and mediocre, that was the best I could do. So that doesn't really sound like... Um, someone who believes that what they're writing is, is divinely inspired. So, um, so for those reasons, the, the church throughout the Orthodox Christian church throughout the ages has, has rejected the apocryphal books. Um, you know, do they have value? Uh, well, it says right here, uh, if we look at the last half of the article six, all of which the church may read and take instruction from. So, we can read them. We can take instruction from them with a caveat. And it says here, so far as they agree 
with the canonical books. So in areas where the apocryphal books may give glory and honor to God for his attributes and, and different things like that, um, in the things that are good and right and true, we can say with them, yes and amen. Uh, we They do have a value in that sense. There may be, there, there's some historical value, especially from the, uh, the first and second uh, Maccabees. Uh, there were some true events that, that did take place uh, in those books. And so there is some value there that uh, we can we can gain from them, but only in so far as they uh, agree with the actual scriptures, uh, because those are the only those are the only uh, writings that that have power and uh, are uh, effectuous for our salvation and and whatnot. And so um, that is it. That is all I have for the Article Six of the Belgic Confession. I really appreciate you taking the time to turn on this podcast and allow me to uh, fill your eardrums. And so I look forward to the next article, Article 7, and I'm hoping that we will be getting to that uh, in the not too, not too distant future. So thanks again and look forward to next time.